Welcome to the Intentional Family Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Schmitz, and I'm here with my favorite co-host, well, my <laughs> only co-host and my only husband, Mike. How are you today? <laughs> I'm good, although you can't say I'm your only co-host because Toby was on one episode true, with you. True, so. true. But what better way to end our last podcast of the year than to reflect on books we've read and lessons we've learned from them? Yes, I like this topic. I find myself when you present things like this, pushing back on them a little bit, just because it feels too easy for me. Like I love to talk about books and lessons that I <laughs> learned from them. And so I kind of just assume that maybe not, it's maybe not as interesting to other people as it is to me. But uh, I think this is the perfect time of year for this, obviously, as you think about all that's happened in 2021 for good or for bad. What we don't want to do is repeat that next year. Yep. We want to keep going, keep growing, and we want to learn from the things that have happened. So at the end of the year, we typically just think through what were the big accomplishments. I've got my whole personal retreat thing that I go through. What were the big wins? Celebrate that stuff. What are some things maybe that didn't go so well? And what can we do to make next year better? And one of the things that I got told a while back, which really stuck with me, was if you are trying to read more, find books that are going to solve a problem that you are currently facing Hmm. because books are a great source of wisdom. Really smart people have written most of these. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, even if you disagree with a lot of the things in a book, you can always find a couple of nuggets that really you chew on them and you, you think about them and uh, you can apply them to your own life. So that's kind of what we're going to do today. Yeah. I found it much harder to go through a book when it feels like drudgery, like you're not even interested in the topic. And if it's an assignment, yeah, do it, get through it. But give yourself the okay and the license to stop reading a book if it's like of no interest to you and pick up something else that's actually appropriate for your life right now. Because we don't read just to read. We read to help us, to help us be inspired, to help learn it, learn something new, And then the other thing for me anyways, with the bookworm podcast that I do with Joe Bielig, sometimes we alternate picking books. So sometimes I pick it and I'm really interested in the topic. Sometimes I do have to just muscle through it yeah, (laughs) (laughs) because somebody else picked it. But Mm -hmm. in general, yeah, don't force yourself to read books that you're not engaging with and you're not getting something from. Although some of the books that I've really had to muscle through, some of, I will say some of them have been really rewarding. Uh, I think, I guess there's not any on our list here today, but I think of one specific one from the bookworm canon, How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler. Joe and I, both of us, we didn't like that book at the time that we read it, but (laughs) continues to provide lessons for us as we continue to read more books, because it's all about how you're engaging in this conversation with the author. And you don't have to agree with what they say, but you have to understand what they're saying. And then you put that in context of all the other things that you've read over the years and all the dots that you've collected, you know, so you kind of see the big picture, not just with this single book, but with all of the ideas that you have collected over time, which idea collection is going to be a theme from some of mine here. (laughs) Well, that's interesting because as I was preparing for this today, I kept thinking about how you described the more dots that you connect, the different picture that you make. And recently I listened to a bookworm episode and the end of the book, you both, you and Joe had a very different feel for. And it was interesting because you just have read different books. 
And so you connected the dots and the ending had different impact for each of you. And I find that very interesting. And when you were just talking, also what I thought of is that scripture that says, the words were bitter in my mouth, but sweet in my belly. I think that (laughs) book, How to Read a Book, you mentioned, that was not pleasant to go through, but it has impacted how you read books. So in hindsight, that's probably a book you would rate very highly because of how much impact it has. And we often don't know as we're going through something, as we're reading something, as we're learning something, we don't know the effect of it and the impact of it long term. And I just find that very, very interesting. And I'm glad you mentioned connecting the dots because that's actually something I was going to ask you about. And I know some of that starts with uh, Austin Kleon, Steel Like an Artist, and how you used to be really stopped or stunted or your creative juices wouldn't flow when you were trying to write some music on your guitar because you're like, oh, well, someone already wrote that. And when you read that book, I remember you saying that it gave you a license to create and not worry about who who it might be mimicking because is there really truly anything original? Yeah. So that book specifically, Austin Kleon says that when you create something new, you are just connecting dots in ways that haven't been connected before. So at that point, creativity was a formula for me. But prior to that, like you were saying, I did not think I was creative, which is kind of ridiculous when I look back at it now and I look at all the things I create on a regular basis. Yeah. (laughs) I could have very easily given into that belief though, and just not done any of the things that I currently do. So I think it's important for everyone to kind of wrestle through that themselves and recognize that yes, you are creative. That's those limiting beliefs. And that's where getting different ideas and reading different books can really help. And also the whole reflection process Uh, helps you unpack what really happened. Mm -hmm. You may have this idea of how something went because of a emotion that was attached to it in the moment. But at the end of the year, when you can reflect on things and see kind of big picture, zoom out a little bit, you can recognize, well, actually that thing that felt bad in the moment, actually that was a big growth opportunity for me. And actually I'm a very different person now because I went through that. And so getting some space and some perspective helps you connect those dots a little bit more effectively, I think. Yeah. And I I love this time where we can look back and reflect and I don't do it enough. And that's something that I have been thinking about the last two weeks about some different routines I can establish because I don't do enough time where I reflect on what has happened so I can process going forward what the right moves are. And that's something that I definitely need to establish. But when as we get into the specific books here and specific lessons... I wanted to start off right away with one of the books that impacted me greatly this year. It was called Teaching from Rest by Sarah McKenzie. And the reason this impacted me, it's it's kind of like right time, right place sort of thing with this one. And I did talk about this story already on another episode, so I won't go into too much detail. But the reason I want to start with this is if we're in reflection mode at the end of the year, <laughs> reflecting on the whole year, for me, it started with us picking two words. We each pick our own two words. Mine were freedom and fullness for this year. Mm-hmm. And this book plays right into that. By freedom, it means what has happened for me this year is that I am free to fulfill and live out the who I am. I'm not trying to be like anyone else. I'm not trying to do things to please others. I am truly being authentic to who I am, to my own wiring, to my own gifting, to my own calling. And okay, so I'm free. That's great. 
and then fullness. I have done a lot more in trying to fill myself up with the right things, listening to the right things, saying the right things, doing the right things. Not all the time, of course, (laughs) (laughs) but trying to make that effort to live in that freedom and that fullness and teaching from rest was a very good book. It's a, she's a homeschool mom of six and she has an incredible resource online and we'll link to it. But it's this whole idea of scole, she calls it. That's the Latin word. And how it's our brains learn better when we're restful, in that Mm -hmm. restful state. And children learn better when it's an atmosphere of rest, of peace. And that, I mean, as I'm saying this, I'm sure you're all nodding your heads going, well, yeah. And so what I had to do was reevaluate and reset some of my own boundaries and my own expectations on my children in how I teach them. So I'm doing it from a state that's peaceful and a state that's restful and ergo freedom (laughs) and fullness and living that out, even in how I do school with my children. Awesome. Yeah. The whole idea of rest, we should tackle that in another episode because that is the way to do things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Doesn't mean you're not busy. doesn't mean Mm -hmm. it's not hard, but doesn't have to be as hard as we make it sometimes. Yeah. All right. My number one book from this year, and I kind of couldn't believe that this was actually this year because I feel like I have referred hundreds, if not thousands of people to this specific book. (laughs) That is The Great Mental Models, Volume 1 by Shane Parrish and Rhiannon Bauben, I believe. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I apologize. But this is a book basically about different tools that you can use to look at things through. So things that you maybe have heard of before, like Occam's razor is a principle. The simplest solution is the best solution. Yes, I love that. So uh, uh, that qualifies as a mental model because if you're trying to decide the right course of action and you have these different options before you and you can't tell, is this one better? Is that one better? Well, which one is simpler? Yeah. Okay, so you look at it through that lens and then, oh, obviously this one is simpler, so that's the one that I should do. And uh, there's so many different mental models like that from this book specifically. It talks about seven different ones. The one that really impacted me, though, is the first one. The map is not the territory. When you recognize that whatever map you're looking at, it's just a representation of reality. And the things that are on that map have been identified by the cartographer as this is important. And you realize that everything in life is a mental model. Uh, Any sort of system that you try to simplify and explain because it's too complex to identify every single input and output, Mm -hmm. you are creating a model. And if you think about like the books that you read and the dots that you connect and your reality in terms of the ideas that you collect, be the cartographer of your own mind Mm -hmm. and create your own reality by deciding these are the dots that are important enough to appear on this map for me. This is a landmark that I think is worth noting and being willing to discard all the other stuff that doesn't really matter. Because I think when people approach reading books for the first time, you get into a a systems book specifically and they lay out, just do A, then B, then C, then D, and you will achieve E. (laughs) (laughs) But it's never that simple. And so you try to retain everything that they're saying and you try to apply it exactly like they laid it out. And you do it and you don't get the results and you're like, well, this doesn't work. And you get frustrated and you you give up on it. So don't give up on it. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, mm-hmm. but recognize you have to apply your own filter 
and you have to decide. It's a very empowering. You have the power to decide what is important enough to appear on these maps. When you understand that and you combine all these different tools for looking at things from different angles, different perspectives, it's really cool to see how you know, just changing your, your perspective, changing the lens you're looking at the world through can kind of make things clear. I like that because it's all about how we think. And applying some system doesn't ever really work unless we change our mindset. Yep. And so I like that um, the simplest solution is the best solution. That's something that's easily applicable to yep. so many decisions. Um, my second book, this is our most gifted book of the year or of the Christmas season from Mike <laughs> and Rachel true. Schmitz, The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. This was published, I believe, in the 60s. And why I picked, well, it's, you know, something that's the most recent often stands out to you. The recency bias, yeah. Yeah, but this is definitely one I'm going to come back to and read. It is filled with awesome stories, first of all, but then also ha has the principles behind them. And it has revealed to me how negative I am. <laughs> yep. How negative I am to myself, how the negative things that come out of my mouth and it's that that phrase death by a thousand paper cuts it's like death by a thousand tiny little negative thoughts or words mm. or looks or whatever it may be and that has been extremely valuable to me because it has been like this spotlight it's like i'm looking in the mirror going okay i need to change how i think i need to change how i talk and it's it, if you just look at the title at face value, The Power of Positive Thinking, oh, yes, be happy-go-lucky. It is one of those classic books, too, that sold a gazillion copies, yes, and so it's, it's easy to write it off. But don't. It is so good. And you read it, and you're like, well, this is, like, completely timeless. Mm -hmm. And I have just, I believe it's affected me a lot, and it has helped me put a watchman on my mouth, as it says in the Word, that I will not, I try not to say stuff more than ever before because I'm really seeing how negative it is. And anything negative running through my head ends up coming out of my mouth and it's not good for me. It's not good for anyone around me. And I would say overall, I'm a positive person. I think my husband would probably agree yeah, with me. I like, agree. happy go lucky, you know, like stuff doesn't <laughs> usually bother me too much. It, it does. But this book, even so, for me, being more of a positive person overall, has still highlighted a ton of negative negativity I've I've let run through my head and come out of my mouth. Yep, and that's invaluable. Agreed. It's not on my list just because it's on yours, but this is a yeah. What's your favorite thing about it? <laughs> uh, the same thing. You know, it, it does it in a way that's very encouraging. But yes, basically shines a spotlight on how negative you are. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's a good thing because once you understand that this is the problem, then you can remedy it. You know, yeah. that's, that's the whole reason that we read books, going mm -hmm. back to what we started with. Uh, my second book is Liminal Thinking by Dave Gray. And this was a book that was recommended to me by somebody in my mastermind group. And I absolutely love it. The big idea here is that our capacity for perceiving information is about 11 million bits per second, but your conscious attention is limited to 40 bits per second. So that is a very small fraction of what is actually happening that you are able to understand. Wow. It's like a needle on a record player. <laughs> okay. And then upon that tiny little sliver of what has actually happened, we have our theories, our judgments, our beliefs, and we tend to create this echo chamber with people who think and talk just like us. And so we surround ourselves with people who have the same experiences that 
they focus on that same little sliver of reality. Mm. And then we have this shared belief. So, oh, this is obvious. <laughs> well, that's just one tiny fraction of yeah. what is actually knowable. <laughs> <laughs> and so it just helps you understand that what you think you know, you don't really know. There's so much more yeah. to know. And I feel like that's very valuable. You apply that with the, the mental models and looking mm. at things from different perspectives, having conversations with people who think differently than you, yeah. which I've tried to do a lot this year. Mm -hmm. It's very world enlarging. That's and good. that doesn't mean that you necessarily just agree with people who have contrary beliefs, but you're willing to engage with the conversation yeah. because you're not threatened by it being different. Yes. It oh, actually helps you. A lot of times I've, I've noticed it, it kind of galvanizes and it reinforces your beliefs because they have encountered something contradictory Yeah, and you forced to wrestle through what you really believe about something and what comes out the end yeah. is a more purified product. Okay, so that, this is not on my list, but I have to just really men quick mention it, called Mama Bear Apologetics. And why I'm mentioning that is because what you just said, for those of us, like for Michael and I, we're raising our children, we are Bible-believing Christians, Jesus is our Savior. And so what we're doing is we are incorporating apologetics, which means to give a defense for your belief. And what that requires is that your children are exposed to the, the opposing beliefs, that they're not raised as bubble children, never seeing the other side. Yep. But in the contrary, you actually introduce all these things that they will experience in life that are contrary to how we've raised them. And what that does is they have an answer for the hope that they have inside of them. And when you said that, I that's I had to mention it. And when you say limit, liminal thinking, what I picture is an iceberg where you see just the tiny bit and the rest is underneath. Yeah. And if that's a good picture of it, like what we think we know is like the tip of the iceberg, the majority is hidden. Yep, exactly. <laughs> So my official number three would be The Whole Brain Child. This is a great book recommended by um, a pastor that we know in California, and she's actually ra helping uh, raise her grandchildren right now. And this book is just, it's so good. I wouldn't say I agree with 100% of it as any book, you know, most books we wouldn't say that anyway, but this gives some really practical things to do with your children in how to help them and how to connect their right brain and their left brain so that they can connect the um, intelligent, like intellectual word side where they can express themselves with the emotional side. And one of them, I'll just give you one example. Uh, this one is called Name It to Tame It. So if they're having like an emotional flare, like they're really angry or really sad or something extreme, what we can do is we can help them retell what's going on. And in that, they name that emotion and they're using that logical part of their brain to connect to the emotional part of their brain and they're creating pathways. Mm. And what that helps is it helps diffuse the situation so they're just not acting reactionary out of emotion, but they're actually able to create this narrative in their head and they over time will learn and develop as we help them to, uh, to calm down and respond appropriately. That was just one of them. There's a bunch. I think there's about 12 specific strategies in helping our children. Nice. So really it's good. mental models for kids. 
basically <laughs> yeah, basically what's All your right. next one yeah my third is courage is calling by ryan holiday i love everything ryan holiday writes it seems he uh so I actually want to be like Ryan Holiday. He <laughs> reads all these books. He writes all these books and he has a bookstore in Austin, which is like his personal collection that people can just come buy his books. And I think that would be awesome. I want to own my own bookstore someday where I can just sell I would my it. books. Yeah. <laughs> so Courage is Calling is uh, basically a, it's in the, in the title. It's, it's trying to encourage you to be brave and to be courageous and to lean into the things that the voice in your head would say, you can't do that. One of the stories from this book that really impacted me was August Landmesser. I wrote about this in my newsletter, but uh, this was the guy in the picture, the famous picture. Uh, Everybody is doing the Nazi salute, except for this one guy in the back with his arms crossed. That's August Landmesser. I dug into his story after I read about it in this book and found out that he was a card-carrying Nazi because he thought it would be an inform somewhere after the, the war to get a job, which it did, but then he fell in love with a Jewish woman. So the big takeaway from that for me is that love is the most motivating force. It was He wasn't trying to stick it to Hitler or anything like that. Yeah, He was motivated by love. So uh, that's you know one small anecdote from one small story mm-hmm. in Courage is Calling, but Ryan Holiday does a great job of telling all these historical stories and the lessons that we can learn from these people applying them. I guess it's kind of a philosophy type book where uh, it's really talking to how your brain works, how your emotions work. He actually has a a lot of references to Bible stories. He's not a a theologian, but like he, he talks in this book about the most used phrase in the Bible is fear not. You know, so he has done his research, at least on a surface level and kind of teasing out the, the practical applications of this stuff. So if you are facing a decision or a scenario where you kind of have an inkling of this is what I need to do, but you're scared to do it, this is one of those like inspirational type books mm. that will help you get ready to storm the castle. <laughs> I love it. Sounds awesome. <laughs> My next one is another recent read, <laughs> Prayer, The Mightiest Force in the World by Frank Laubach. I think so. Sorry if I mispronounced that. I don't know if he's even still alive. I'm not (laughs) sure when this was published. Why I like this book is because, again, it comes back to stories. And prayer is extremely powerful. And it's just one of those books where if you want to increase your prayer life or get some more inspiration for praying more uh, regularly, this is a great book. He has some really awesome examples, and I just, I don't know, whether you believe in prayer or not, whether you believe in God or not, like, you can read this book, and it would it's an interesting read, and it works. It really, really works. One of his stories that I like is him sitting, I believe it was like a bus or a subway or something, and there's uh, another person in there in his vicinity that he can see that just looks crabby distress like you can tell all over their countenance and their body language and their face and quietly secretly (laughs) without even audibly praying he's praying for that person and over the course of a few minutes he sees their countenance change and the person looks up and smiles at him (laughs) and i've actually been i've been practicing this and trying this out 
in regular everyday life. And just when I come across someone, like I pray for them uh, or the checker, if I'm at a store or if I see someone on the side of the road. And this isn't the first time I've done this kind of stuff, but it's just one of those books that if you like stories and if you want to hear more about prayer and some practical examples, this is a great book. Nice. So my fourth one is Digital Body Language by Erica Dewan. This is a bookworm book that we covered. And uh, I did not expect this book to help me as much as it did, but it was written, I believe, like right at the beginning of the pandemic when everyone started working from home. Now, I work remote regardless. So even after things got back to normal for a lot of people, I am still able to apply a lot of the things that I learned from this book. And I think there's a a temptation if you do work remote or you have for a while to think, well, I know this stuff already. You don't. You don't realize how bad you are at communicating (laughs) via video, text, whatever, until somebody points out, you know, this is how it would happen in real life. And this is the the barriers that technology puts between that when you have to connect via Zoom or, or any other, you know, video or audio tool. How do you communicate effectively, synchronously versus asynchronously, stuff like that. Lots of practical things in this book, which lead to better communication for anybody who has to communicate using these tools, which just about all of us do now. And better communication leads to better everything. <laughs> I agree 100%. <laughs> so if you're frustrated with a team that you're working with at church or the team that you're working with at work or family members that you don't get to see that often, but you Zoom every once in a while, there is so much benefit to be had from reading this book. Uh, and it's it's not something that is probably going to be life-changing. It's probably just going to be a few little things that you catch and you're like, oh, I could easily do that in my next video call. And then you start doing that and then it starts producing a a compound benefit for you and you realize, oh, actually this is (laughs) (laughs) life-changing. That's good. I think I'm going to have to read that one. It's a good one. (laughs) Okay. So my number five, but this is like number five, not meaning the the last on my list, like this could be number one and I could read it over and over. The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Some of you may have read this as part of a school assignment back in middle school or something. If you have not read it, I encourage you to go online right now, go to your local bookstore and pick it up. It is such a good book. If you don't know the story of Corey Ten Boom, she survived Nazi uh, concentration camp <laughs> in World War II. And her story is just so compelling. And she's just an incredible woman. And this this entire narrative through this story is so good. And you see the faith that has been built in her family leading up to them being taken. And they saved, I don't know how many Jews they hid and saved from being taken and slaughtered in concentration camps. But even when her dad faced this point in the book where the soldier said, because he was old, he was in his 70s, he said, the soldier said, if you promise not to hide any more Jews, I will release you. And he said, if I'm given the opportunity to save a life, I'm going to do it. (laughs) And so he died a week or two later in the concentration camp. Mm. He chose to do what was right. He chose life. He chose to be a light in that dark time. And 
you can go on to your next book, but I need to give a Corey Ten Boom quote first because she has so many. But <laughs> All right. this one is just a simple one. In darkness, God's truth shines most clear. I like that. It's good. All right. My last book here is a recent read, 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman, which he has an interesting story. He was kind of productivity expert guy and was sharing all the strategies for how to be more productive. And then basically was like, this is frustrating and kind of went all the way the other way. Very similar to Solomon in the Bible. Interesting. Where you have the different stages of his life and Ecclesiastes, he's at the end of his life and he's basically saying everything is meaningless. It's kind of Oliver Berkman's message. 4,000 weeks refers to the average uh, lifespan for uh, a human. It's Mm -hmm. about 4,000 weeks. So if you were to make a big wall calendar and put 4,000 weeks on there and check off the ones that have already passed by, that can be a little bit depressing, right? Wow. That's kind of the point that he's trying to make is you are not here for very long. And Mm -hmm. in the scope of everything, you are not as important as you think you are. (laughs) Well, (laughs) then. That is actually very freeing. That's yeah, the, that's true. That's the whole point is we think we have to do all these things. We have to get these things done. I can tell you from breaking my hand that there are things that I previously is like, I have to do these things. Now I can't do those things. And you <laughs> yeah. know what? The things that I was involved with, like worship team at my church, for example, part of you probably feels when something like that happens, like, oh, they're going to fall apart without me. They really need me. You know, and then you see they're just fine without you. Everything gets done. And you're like, oh, (laughs) all right. Yeah. So it's that sort of thing. And when I, uh, he he basically throws it in your face and he's like, just deal with this uncomfortable truth. Yeah. So I did that. And I, I, at the same time, going through the Ed Cole material for our discipleship group at church. And, uh, thinking about all the martyrs and the people who like lay down their lives. And part of me just telling on myself here is like, well, if I lay down my life at 35 years old, whatever, then I don't get to impact all those other people with the rest of my life. And really what this book forces you to confront is you're really not going to make that much of a difference anyway. So you may as well pick one point, you know, where you're really going to go deep, not wide yeah, and just do whatever you can. That's going to be significant right now yeah and when you couple that with our christian belief system which is you can't do anything on your own that's worthwhile anyways (laughs) you have to be led by god and only the things that you do for god are the things that are going to really last in eternity Mm -hmm. then you kind of can see how people get to that point yeah where it's like yeah i want to be around i want to watch my kids grow old i want to see my grandkids stuff like that but ultimately even that is not why i'm here right and if I were forced to make that decision to lay my life down for a cause that is bigger than myself, I'd like to think this book helps put you in a position where you are more likely to do that. Yeah, that's a really good um, perspective to have because we're not, we are not the only game in town. And what we do is important because I just think of my words again, freedom and fullness. It's to be free to be who we are, who we're meant to be and be full in that life. Yep. But everyone matters. There's and a, I what I do isn't more important than anyone else. Exactly. There's this this term for Americans specifically, rugged individualism, hmm. where we think we are self-made hmm. and we are 
the most important thing. The universe revolves around us. And you're really not. (laughs) You're really more more powerful together as a a community. You can do more together than you can by yourself. And if you were to not be available tomorrow, then the community is going to go on. And people will come. People will go. It's an uncomfortable fact of life. Just don't let those things throw you off. You know, yeah. when, when you kind of take a, a big picture view, whether that is Christian or not, he kind of talks in this book about the Christian uh, perspective of the afterlife. And while your life is one small portion of, of that anyways, but even in like the, it, the big scheme of things, if you separate out the, uh, the afterlife piece and just take into account human existence and he doesn't go back millions of years it kind of goes tens of thousands of years and i I forget the number but there's like so so many generations based on the human lifespan and you're here for one of them Mm -hmm. so (laughs) you're going to be limited in in the impact that you can make and uh, when you disconnect from well i really have to just do something that is going to change the world it actually frees you up to have an impact and do the things that really matter in the moment yeah the littlest things change people's worlds exactly kindness smiling going shopping and not being in a hurry and being the one that's pleasant like all these little things make an impact and ah man it's really really easy as americans to be selfish Mm -hmm. and if you have that perspective of I'm self-made. Well, that's a lie. Yep. Let's just think about our country. Our country wouldn't be here, hello, <laughs> if people didn't travel across the ocean hundreds of years ago to set out for a have a free life, uh, a free country. The parents that went before us, like everyone around us, teachers we've had, like no one's self-made. And that's something that we've lost in recent history too yeah. as Americans. You think about like the, the golden generation. Yeah and how selfless they were and i think now if something like that were to happen people would be like well i'm not gonna enlist for any sort of war like that because i'm not gonna give my life for something that isn't a pure motive you know they can poke all the the holes in the politics and the yeah. things behind which that stuff is true but ultimately that stuff was true it's always 19, been true 10 1920 yeah exactly it's always they, been flawed they just realize that this is bigger than me. And Any, so that's something yeah. that we struggle with. Anytime you get people involved, it's imperfect. As soon as I <laughs> step true. in the room, like, oh, yep, nope, <laughs> this is flawed. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, that's good. I, can I just say something that I find a little humorous right now? Hmm. Looking at your list and my list, mine is super random. It covers a lot of different things. And I like how yours kind of all like, I don't know. They seem to kind of fit together. Am I seeing that yeah, right? Or kinda. <laughs> well, except for digital body language. Probably. Okay, that's okay. That's fine. It's just very um, true to our personalities. I think I got a theme. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well, I really hope that one of these titles stood out to you. You can hit up your local bookstore or online and get a new book for the new year. And there will be links to all of these in the show notes. Yep. I encourage you to take some time and reflect on your growth from this year. And what that will do is that will encourage you and it will be a strong propeller into the new year. 
it will build momentum for the wins that you've made and help you establish maybe some new habits or keep going with some good habits you've established already. Thank you for listening to the Intentional Family Podcast. We can be found at intentionalfamily.fm. Until next time, join us in living life intentionally. Intentionally.